Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Our Bible reading is from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. At the end of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please, let's respond by saying thanks be to God. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thank you. Uh, well, if you're coming for the first time, uh, please, we, uh, love, we are happy to have you around. My name is Femi, and I'm pastor here. And we've been going through a sermon series. Uh, we just started. This is the third one, I believe. And it's in the book of uh, Colossians. So we've had two already, where we took the first part of um, that, verses 1 to 8. And last time we did verses 19 to, no, verses 9 to 14. And so now we're treating from 15 to 20. Um, I should start by saying, um, I don't know about you, but I like music. You know, music is nice. Music, they say, is uh, food for what? So it just gives you, you know, it lifts us up at very, very difficult times. But you know one of the things that we don't often say about music, but actually it's been our experience, is that when we want to express certain things, sometimes just mere speaking doesn't actually express it well enough. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I don't know, well, fine, we don't do it in this church. Maybe we should start doing it. But somebody has a child, right? We don't just say, and they bring the child. Normally you don't just say, um, uh, Biola has given birth to a new, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Biola has given birth to a new baby. What do we do? We say, come on, join me, sing hallelujah. Then she starts something like that. So we, we, we express that. Well, this, this is very relevant for my relationship with my wife. My relationship with my wife, um, you know, sometimes they're just things that we need to express, and we have to do it, you just have to do it in song. So, like, as usually happens, um, I mess up a lot. A lot I do. And sometimes I mess up more than others. And so just the mere you know, apologies doesn't work. So when it's one of those times that I've really, really gone terrible, I look at her and I say something like, sorry. <laughs> it's all that I can say. You know, I won't say that that always works out. But at least she understands where I'm coming from. But there are other times that I would like her to do something for me. And she normally would not want to do it in the way that I would like it to be done. I'll try to persuade her, but she wouldn't want to do it that way. Now, sometimes I wonder, is it that she doesn't understand what I'm trying to say, or she just doesn't want to do it? And then I realize, here's the thing. I've not been nice to her lately, so I need to butter her up. If I can butter her up, then maybe I can get her to do things the way I want. So normally, at those times, I would say something like, you are my fire. My one desire. And at that point, she's already like, wow, okay. And then I say, believe when I say, I want it, finish, that way. Because music helps you express things. There are some people that are too young that don't know what, what that was. But the lot of you that uh, I can see, you, you look like someone who bought a T-shirt and did all of those things. Music expresses things in a far more vivid way than sometimes mere words do. 
And the examples I've just quoted, they are very, very, if you like, individualistic. Some would even say a bit mundane or even self-serving. And yet there are times when there are huge, massive um, things or topics or issues that go beyond our own self-wants and self-needs that, again, when you use the power of music, when you use poetic lyrics, it's able to captivate people into action. There comes a time when we hear a certain call, when the world must come together as one. There are people dying, which is a big issue. I don't know why it's funny. It's not funny. There are people dying. No, I'm serious. It's not funny. <laughs> Please, by laughing, you're not going to make me make my point. Lola, come on. When, in 1985, when Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson penned those words, there was massive famine in, in Africa. And they were trying to galvanize. They had been in, in the UK, Band Aid had done, uh, in 1984, had done, you know, Bob Geldof and the rest. They raised some money um, to be able to feed people in Somalia. And so Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, who had written wonderful songs before, but, you know, songs about their love life and all of those things, they decided to write a song that actually captivated, brought a lot of stars together, and was for a cause that was above them. A cause that was transcendent. It led to lofty lyrics, galvanized the world, or at least the world in America, brought them together in unity, where we said we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones who can make a brighter day, so let's start giving. And so there is something about the, um, if you like, the loftiness of the lyrics as directly related to the transcendentness of the subject. The loftiness of the lyrics of the song is directly related to the transcendentness of the topic or the subject of that song. You see, Paul had been speaking um, to us. In the first sermon, we talked about how we can be famous, but famous meaning uh, through faith in Christ and love for God's people, that that's what they were famous for. And then Dami showed us last time that how to know God's will. Now, if you read um, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, towards the end, he talks about how we've then been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. And the moment Paul references that son that he loves, he says, ah, if I have to tell you about that son, mere words wouldn't be enough. And so Paul then breaks into poetic prose. He breaks into what we now know and has been shown to be a hymn. What B.A. read for us really from 15 to 20 is a hymn. Some call it the Christ hymn. I want to call it the hymn of all hymns. Because Paul tells us certain truths, transcendent truths about Jesus Christ, and he does it with lofty language. Now some debate whether or not this was an original or it was modified. That really misses the point for us here. For us here, what we must see is that we have been handed down lofty lyrics to own, which only can appropriately describe the person of Christ. It's when we get to chapters 3 and 4, what you find out in the book is that it will focus on our horizontal relationships with one another. That is, our relationships with, with um, with our spouses, our relationship with our children, our relationship with our fellow church members, our relationship with our people, the people at work, our relationship with non-Christians. Colossians has a lot to say about all of those things. But what he's also trying to point to us is this. For you to live in a, as a Christian in, in right relationship with all those people, your vertical relationship with God and Christ matters most. And if you're going to have a relationship with Christ, the question is this, who is that Christ that you want to have a relationship with? And this hymn really is to reveal that person of Christ to us, not just in lofty language and prose, but also with supreme truth. And so we've titled this uh, um, sermon, the, the Hymn Supreme. And we're going to look at it in three stanzas. Cut that. All right, good. Stanza, they didn't get in the first service. Stanza of creation, the stanza of rebellion, and the stanza of reconciliation. Stanza of creation, stanza of rebellion, and the stanza of reconciliation. Now, as we said uh, in the first 
sermon, but the very first sermon, everybody knows Jesus Christ. There's hardly anyone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been shown time and again, year after year, to be the most popular human in history, right? Whether you believe in him or not, whether you, at least you've heard about Jesus Christ. Everyone has. And yet there can be confusion as to exactly who that Jesus Christ is. If you're Muslim, according to the Quran, Jesus Christ was a human, but a human being who was a miraculous prophet who will come back at the end of history on the Day of Judgment. That's one view. If you are an Easterner, like maybe um, Far East, and maybe you're subscribed to some of the philosophies or the religions there, at best you would say that Jesus Christ was this wonderful, this very extremely wise guru. If you are a secularist, a material secularist, right, you don't believe in anything apart from what we see with our eyes, you would say, well, what you know about Jesus Christ was that he was an extraordinary, extraordinary moral and thought leader. Well, or profound. If you are what we call a fresh Christian, Jesus Christ is your bestie, right? your BFF, kind of. So most people say, would the real Jesus please stand up? And I would say he stands up right here in what Paul gives to us. What does Paul say in verse 15? He said, this Jesus, or sorry, this son, and before I get to Jesus, let's start with the son, because there's some difference there. But the son is the image of the invisible God. Let's stop there. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, if you read your Bibles closely, one of the things that hits you from the very beginning is in Genesis, when God creates, in chapter 1, verse 26, it says he created man in what? His image. And so quite often Christians would say the dignity of every human being is rooted, every human being, whether or not they're disabled, whether or not they have all their parts put together, every human being is of infinite worth. How do we know? Because they are created in the image of God. Now, this isn't exactly what it means here, because he's talking about the sun. When he says the sun is the image of the invisible God, he's speaking about image in a way that brings is revelatory. This sun reveals God. Notice it says the invisible God, God that cannot be seen or God that cannot be comprehended. When we look at the Son, the Son is there to express him. So the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, representing him. Now, um, John, who was an apostle of Jesus Christ, one of his first disciples, also writes, but he doesn't first use the Son. He uses another language. He calls the Word, right? And so in the beginning of his um, book, the, the Gospel According to John, he starts this way. He says, listen, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, all right? So we have Word. And we have God. They were together in the beginning. All right? So we agree that word and God are separate, right? And then he says, and the word was God. Confusing, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God again at the beginning. So there is a way the Word and God are united, and there is a way they are separated. They are very united because the Word is God, and yet they are separated because the Word was with God. Well, if we see that the word, word, the word word is actually logos in Greek, it also has, again, a revelatory element toward, to it. So as I'm speaking, um, giving words. With my words, you should know something about me, even if you couldn't see. If you were listening, as some would listen over the podcast, they will know from my words that this person is um, a, a, a male, like he's a man, right? From the words, just from the tone of the voice. So my words reveal me. Now, hopefully, if I'm doing well, they will say that this person is also, hopefully he's a pastor, right? <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Some may say that he should probably stop being one. <laughs> he's trying to be a pastor. At least they can, you can say that. 
So the words reveal us. And what if you take Hebrews 1, you take what Paul is saying in Colossians 1 here, 15, and you take what John is saying in, in John 1, he's saying, look, this word represents God in such a way that he fully represents him so much that he is God himself. That is, I can try to represent, let's say, Bimbo, for instance, and say, oh, I know Bimbo, Bimbo works as this, she's into communication, blah, blah. I can represent Bimbo through words to someone. But the best way Bimbo can be represented is what? If I show Bimbo to someone. And even though a picture is not the full representation of Bimbo, at least in image, it will show Bimbo well, the image. But here we have the image is so much more than just a representation. The image is a person himself. This leads us to this doctrine um, in, that is unique about what Christianity says about God. He says God is one. You see that from the Old and the New Testament. God is one. God is one. One as his being. But God is also three in persons. There is no real human analogy to be able to to be able to fully explain that because it's God. We only know about it because God tells us, but it's not illogical as well. Um, one analogy I like to use um, is, it's not a perfect analogy, but hopefully can, can, can cut across. So my name is Femi, my surname is Oshunui. My wife's name is Tosin. What's her surname? My son's name is Tofumi. What's his surname? Now, back in uh, a couple of years ago, like my dad used to introduce himself as, you say, uh, my name is Oshunui. In fact, till today, a lot of people, how we write, what's your name? You say, um, Lawansin Yinka. We identify first with our community because we identify with our family first before we then identify with our individuality. So if I said I'm Oshunui, am I fully an Oshunui? Huh? Is my wife fully an Oshunui? So if my wife is Oshunui and I'm Oshunui, are we the same person? No. But we are fully Oshunui, aren't we? My, I am fully Oshunui. It's not like I'm half Oshunui, then my wife makes up the other half, right? As I am, I am fully Oshunui, but I am Femi. My wife is fully Oshunui, but she is Tosi. My son is fully Oshunui, but he is Tofumi. Because the relationship in Oshuni is a relationship of surname. The relationship of Femi, Tosin, and Tofumi is a relationship of first names. When God is one, and we say God is one, that is a relationship in being. When we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are talking about a relationship of persons. This is why it is not illogical. Do we understand? Now, it is something that is complex. It is something that we know nothing of in humanity. But I'll say this. <laughs> if God is more complex than us, well, thank God he is God then. That makes him even more God. Amen? Amen? Now, some would say, well, okay, fine, that's theoretical, but I like action. I'm an action person. And I know this. I know that God is meant to be the one who created all things. And I know God the Father created all things. But which one is this, the Son? If the Son truly is God, then he too should have created. Well... Go to verse 16. What does Paul say? For in him all things were created. Whoa. In him all things were created. And if you go to verse uh, latter part of that 16, it says, All things have been created through him and for him. Wow. So are we saying the Son is the pre-existent creator of the world, because that's what I've always understood about the one God. He is the pre-existent, that is, he existed before creation in all eternity, and then he created. Are you saying that that is who the Son is? Notice in verse 17 what he says. He says, he is before all things, pre-existent. And then in 16 we see that in him all things were created, through him all things were created, for him they were all created. Does that mean the Father did not create? No. God created. And God is, is a multiple persons. So the Father created, the Son created. But the Father created through the Son. Put it this way. Another analogy. Imagine Julius Berger were so nice and came and said they wanted to build me a house. Amen. 
Sorry, amen. Is that wrong? As in, I can't say, oh, you guys. Because if you do it for me, then they'll do it for you. you see? That's, it's called tapping in. All right. Now, so they wanted to build a house. And we described how this house, we want this house to be this, that, 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 all of those things. My wife and I, we tell them. So what they do, we send, we wire the money, cash, of course. No, you can't wire cash, can you? All right. Just forget about that. They get, they get their, their deposit, so they go to work. Now, if they go to work, here's what I think in a very simplistic way would happen. An architect within Julius Berger is going to come, and, or a group of architects. But let's say an architect, a lead. They draw up the plan of the house, right? Would that happen? And then a civil engineer is going to come and say, oh, we bring this into uh, full-blown reality. So what kind of materials are we going to use? The, the iron, the cement, the steel, all of those things, right? And then they get some kind of contractor, and they put the whole house together. And it's fantastic. Three years later, um, the architect left Julius Berger and he set up his own consultancy firm. And then somebody says, hey, we'd like to um, see some of the work you've done. And somebody wants to build another, uh, no, not a pastor, but a bishop wants to build a bishop's castle. All right, and he says, I want to see an example of the work you've done. And then he drives past my house and now says, oh, yeah, I built that house. Would you be lying? Five years later, the civil engineer left and set up his own practice. And when he set up his practice, some people came to meet him and they said he wanted to build a house, but they weren't sure about his experience and has he ever built anything before that is of this scale? And he takes them past our house and he says, I built that. Is he lying? And then Lagos State says they want to build a group of houses for all their Permanent secretaries. They want to build very nice houses for all their permanent secretaries. So they go to Julius Berger. And they're like, well, we like you guys, but you're only really experienced. We know you, that you build roads and bridges. We don't know that you can build any house. Have you guys ever built any house of this kind of scale? And Julius Berger then showed them our house, the, the, lead, uh, the CEO there, and he says, we built that house. Are they lying? You see, because the architect and the civil engineer they played, and the contractor, they played different roles in seeing that house come to, to fruition within the entity that is Julius Berger. The architect built the house, the civil engineer built the house, Julius Berger built the house. And if you see in Genesis chapter 1, you can see that God, it says God created the heavens and the earth, but it also says in verse 2 that the Spirit of God hovered around the waters and God said the word of God. Who created the world? God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why you see in John chapter 1, verse 3, after he says that he was in the beginning with God, he then says, all things were created by him. That word, that is God. All things were created by him, and there was nothing created that he didn't create. And the same person who creates the world is the one that sustains the world. The writer of Hebrews then tells us, after he says that uh, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, he says, sustaining all things by his powerful word, the sun. But he can say that because the sun is God. John, later in verse 18, then says this, no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. So we can see that the Son is God, not just because he says so, but he de demonstrates his Godship, if you like. The Son. Well, let me say something else. What did the Son create? Well, verse 16 tells us all things. All things in him, for in him all things were created. All things have been created through him. But what are these all things? Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Let's take heaven and earth. Heaven and earth is what you can call a biblical merism, which is you take two words to actually describe a whole. So when it says heaven and earth, it wasn't like, all right, let's create, a, let's create heavens. Boom. Then let's create earth. Boom. No, heaven and earth represents a whole. The physical things that we see, right? The physical things that we see. This sun, this bestie for some people, is the one who created 
all things, all things that we see on earth, outside the earth, all over. The person who created, who does art, the sun, like the art that I'm going to show on the screen, if those guys there wake up, all right, the, the, the art that the person who creates art is created by the, the person who created art is created by the sun, something like that. I don't know about some of you, but like my wife says she found this horrible. I actually like that. Well, maybe you don't like it this way. You don't like this painting this way. What if we zoom out? Because we've zoomed in too much. We zoom out. Now does it look better? The person who created this, who painted this, the son created him. I'll tell you what. It even looks better if you zoom out a little bit more. Wonderful. Look at the, fig the colors. They, they are not put there by accident. And it's even better. It's wonderful if we zoom out one more time. That are pictures, the most recent pictures of Jupiter, not even Earth. Millions of galaxies away. The one who holds all things, sustains all things by his word. The science and art are brought together. This word did them all. The planetary hosts, all of them. And how they're all, the galaxies in the, were, were interdependent on all things. The light, the heat, the sun, the waters, all of it creates this thing that we see. The visible thing. So now, what well, we talked about the heavens and earth because that's visible. But well, what about the invisible? That's why it then says visible and invisible. In other words, he's saying that there are things that we cannot see with your eyes, but nonetheless exist. Angels? Yes. He's basically talking about what we'll call a metaphysical world. We do believe they exist. Why? Because God tells us they exist. And he said, well, I can't believe that because I haven't seen it. Have you seen a microwave before? Yet it heats up your food pretty good, doesn't it? Have you seen it? It helps you answer calls, right? Do you say, because I can't see it, it doesn't exist? No. And in the same way, he says, look, there is another a metaphysical world that exists. And guess what? He created it also. Now, when you get to the last four uh, pairings, the rulers, the powers, the authorities, and um, what's the last one? Rulers, powers, authorities, and thrones. At that point, though it's difficult to be sure exactly what he's saying, but I think he's saying this. He's taking that spiritual world and he's saying whether good or bad. Because many references of the last one, which is the, uh, the authorities, uh, What's that? Yeah, the rulers and authorities, for instance, in Colossians 2.15, he's not speaking about, he's speaking about those in the dark realm. But whether it is those in the good realm, the angels, or it is the demons, he created all of them. Like, really? He created the bad ones? Well, here's what it's saying. If he did not create them, then they are not under his control. And look, the existence of evil forces outside of God's control is a worse nightmare than the existence of evil forces. Do you know that? There's mystery behind that. How is he allowing all of those things to exist? We can probably get into that. But he's saying there is none of them that is not outside of the control of the Son. That's why he says not only were they created in him and through him, they were created for him. They are created for him. Because he created all things, they were created for him. And this is what helps us to understand what it means when he says he is the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation. Now, please be careful. When you say firstborn over all creation, you may be thinking about, first of all, what about Adam? I thought Adam was the firstborn. Or you may be thinking, aha, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses are correct then. Who would say that the son, the father is really God, who is the one that, did, that was never created. But the son was the first creation of the father. The most powerful of all creation, the most highly exalted of all creation, but nonetheless a created being. And you can see that he's saying he's the firstborn of all creation. Now I think that would be really wrong because it's not really understanding exactly how firstborn is functioning here. Notice what Paul says, especially in the TNIV. I think they get it right. It says the firstborn over creation. Not the firstborn of creation, but the firstborn over all creation. 
Now, in the Bible, the word firstborn can be used in many different ways. It can be, you're like, you're the firstborn of your mom. Okay, you're the second. So the person that comes before Lola, it can have a sequential usage. That is, the one that comes before Lola, the very first one is the firstborn. But that's not the only way it's being used. In Psalm 89, verse 27, God is speaking about David. And he says about David, he says this, I will appoint him to be my firstborn. Now, hang on, how is that possible? David was not even the first, he was the last born of his father. How is he going to appoint him to be his firstborn? What does that mean? Well, he tells us the meaning after. The most exalted of the kings of the earth. Ah, so firstborn at that point doesn't mean the sequential order of how you come out from your mother's womb. No, it's the attribution of preeminence. It is showing his supremacy. In fact, another way of putting it would be the firstborn supreme over all creation. And we know that because he is the one that created all things. The reason why all creation was created for him and not for themselves was because he was the one that brought them into being. Amen. Now, this is absolutely fundamental for the second point. But I want to say this. This pre-existent son, the father pre-existent and from all eternity has been God. The son pre-existent from all eternity has been God. This pre-existent son is the one who came as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. I'll say a little bit more about that. But all things were created in him, through him, and for him. That takes me to the second stanza, which is the stanza of rebellion. The stanza of rebellion. Now, I don't know about you. Some of us didn't deal with tapes. But if you, did you ever have, whoever had a tape? When I mean tape, I mean tape, you know, tape. Cassette tape, right? Yemi? Did you say Yemi? No. Yeah, I've got you. Now, now, cassette tapes were these things that they were before CDs, right? And... No, I'm actually trying to educate, because not everybody had one, as is evident. So that's where you used to put music. And so if you had an album, for instance, on your cassette tape, there was something called side A, and there was another one called side B. You know what side A was? Side A was what you wrote down and the record company, what they expected to be hits, right? Hits like, you know, I remember one of my MC Hammer tape, like Can't Touch This and um, um, Hammer Time. They were in side A. Right? That's why we all know of it. Inside B, you know what side B is? Side B is, you know, all these creatives, they just feel like they want to write something from within them, something that is true to art. And the record company is like, people will not understand this. Thing. Okay, we'll give it to you, but it will be in what? Side B. When we are given the task of producing and writing our own songs, and we can produce a lot of nonsense, it goes to side B. In this hymn, it's not there, thank God. But if we were to experiment, what if we wanted to write our own song? Do you know what we will write in place of, in place of all things were created in him, through him, and for him? You know what we will write? All things were created in him, through him, and for us. And that's exactly what happened. That this song created, created a human being, and two human beings, and they were just giving one commandment. One commandment, don't eat of something. You can do all other things. But because they listened to the lie of one of the creatures that had rebelled, they listened to the lie that, you know what? By the son giving you orders, he's trying to be God over you. You can be God yourself. You can write your own music. I say, ah, that's true. In the day that you eat of this, you will become like God. And so when we decide to disobey, it's like writing our own music. We are now saying, fine, I didn't create myself, but no one should be able to tell me what I should do. Especially God. This is the way I want to live my life. It will follow the example of the other creation. Remember I said there's an invisible, there are invisible creations. Well, Peter tells us that these invisible creations, some of them rebelled. In 2 Peter 2 verse 6, at uh, 2 verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, 
We don't know when that happened. Don't try, if somebody tries to give you books that talks about what they happened and how the angels rebelled, and don't, don't read those books. Just stay away. Just keep to this. Angels sinned. That's it. All right? Don't go, don't go further. And so human beings also followed suit. They say, eh, well, sinning, okay, fine. I break one or two laws. Who is perfect? Not everyone is perfect. So why, why is this such a big deal? Um, let me use this example I gave in the first service. But the person I used is not here. Um, Yinka, do you have a younger sister? Uh -huh. So Yinka has a younger sister. I just want to say, with this example, I'm not saying this is what happens, all right? But it's just the best way I can communicate it. Yinka has a younger sister. If Yinka were to slap his younger sister, ah, what's your problem? I said it didn't happen. I said, let's say it was to slap her. Now, no, I don't mean just slap her. You know, there's slap, but there's dirty slap. You know, dirty slap. I'll give you, a, when it's always said, I'll give you a dirty slap. It doesn't mean that will cause you pain. It is like, I will, there's something, there's, there's contempt is in it, right? So if Yinka were to give his younger sister a dirty slap, now the most sensible among us will say that is wrong, right? It would be wrong, Abby. Well, I said the most sensible among us. Obviously, not everyone is sensible. It will be wrong. It will be wrong because, first of all, she's a human being. Whatever wrong she's done to him, Right? As a human being, you should not treat a human being with contempt. You can't just slap somebody like that, right? The second thing is, Yinka, ah, man, you guys are shocking. You guys be slapping your sisters. Is that what you do? Second is that he's a guy, she's a woman. He's, more, he's most likely physically stronger than she is. And so what he has done is that he's used his own power to oppress her. That is wrong. And he'll be deserving of some kind of punishment. If I heard about it, Dinka would be under church discipline. <laughs> now, this will never happen. I'm using it for the sake of example, all right? Because my wife told me she didn't like this example, but I don't have any other one. Sorry. <laughs> if you heard that Yinka slapped his mother, what would you say? That is wrong, Abby. We say it's wrong. Huh? He's, he's mad. Would the action be wrong? Just, just wrong? It would be an abomination. It's not just wrong. Like, in fact, when I said it, you say, ah, he's mad. That means, that means, I heard Biola say he's mad. That means that if Biola heard about it, before she brings him to church, she would have gone and jumped on Yinka and actually... Inflicted violence back. It's an abomination. You know why it's an abomination? Is the mother not a woman like the sister? Right? It shouldn't a human being like the sister. So all of those things apply, but there's more. The mother was the one that gave birth to him. Older than him, but also she gave birth to him. She nurtured him. And so to slap his mom is saying much more than I'm just angry. It, you are, you are, you are, the world was not meant to function that way. You are disordering the world. You are going against the created order. It's an abomination. Because she brought him into this world and she sustained him for some part of his life. Now, how do you think it is when we look at the son who created us and the son who sustains us and we say, I'm going to do what I want? That's like slapping him in his face. An abomination or, it, or treachery is inadequate to describe what that is. Whenever we sin, what we are saying is that I want to be a law to myself. And fine, you may have created me. Fine, creation may have been done through. Maybe you are even the one sustaining me, but I live for myself. It is because of this that in trying to bring this song, to rescue this song from, away from our noise, because at this point, the melody becomes noise. What's noise? Noise is when sounds are brought together that should not be brought together. Music is when sounds are put in the right arrangement. And so at this point, it's noisy. When we decide to live ourselves, it's noisy. And guess what? God is going to want to fix that noise. He does it through judgment. It's when we said that Yinka will have to be punished. The punishment is trying to make something that has gone wrong, is trying to bring it back together. 
He's saying, this isn't the way Yinka, the world is meant to function, and the punishment should remind you of how the world should function. And how God tries to fix that again is through the Son. This is why in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Peter says this about him. He says, he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. He's also the judge. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking about the end of time. He says, look, at the end of time, because people have decided to live for themselves, one example how people decide to live for themselves is people come together in a church setting, and some of them will notice that one of them is hungry, the other one is naked, the other one is suffering. And some, when you see that is wrong, and you have the means to be able to turn that around, and you don't turn it around, just say, this is not how the song should be going. This is not how creation is meant to be going. So he says, you know what I'm going to do? He says in verse, 14, in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, Matthew 25, and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and I just jumped to 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That is, those who first rebelled in the invisible world, they're going to be there. But also in this visible world, those who are rebelling, who are making this world become jacked up, because first and foremost, they do not want to submit to its creator. He says, the way I repair this song is through judgment. Because as we have seen, it's worse than an abomination to look at him in the face and say, I want to live for myself. That brings me to the third point, which is one more way he fixes this problem, the problem of our song. So we get to the stanza of reconciliation. Now, um, just again, back to some reference of mid-90s, mid I'll say late, early 90s to mid-90s, all the way to about mid-2000s. There was a huge phenomenon in um, the music industry uh, at that time. It was called the remix. You know what the remix is? Remix, what, you know what remixes are? You have one particular song, you know the song, but then they decide to do something else to the song. It's not exactly that song, but yet it's somehow connected to the song. If I have a definition for what the remi uh, remix is. A remix is, I can't find the definition. I found it. A remix is a piece of media which has been altered from its original state by adding, removing, and or changing pieces of the item, thereby creating something new. So there was a particular song. Now, most times it's like maybe that song, the original song, wasn't all that great. So they bring in some kind of arranger, star, producer. He comes in. There is a sense in which he keeps the core of that song. But then he removes certain things, maybe increases. The, 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 he, he, he removes certain, maybe a verse that is there. Maybe they bring in a rapper, and he puts in one verse. They increase the tempo. They do something. So that something is created that is new. And yet, it somewhat resembles the old one. Now, this is how Paul says he solves the problem. You see, the first stanza goes from 15 to verses, let's say, about 18. 18. But the second, he now, uh, so to 17, 15 to 17. But the second stanza is a remix of the first. In other words, it is something new, but you will see so many similarities between the second and the first. It's there you see a firstborn. It was the firstborn of creation, but now you see firstborn from among the dead. You see the fact that things were through him, but now he's not created, he's now reconciled. So there is similarities. And what is going on here? Well, what is going on is that we were given music and we wrote our own music and now he's trying to repair that. Let me explain. Remember I said there's been a noise of rebellion and this must be resolved by judgment. Yet if God were to only play the judgment card, none of us will survive. And yet he's committed to having those people worship him. So he says, I'm still going to act through judgment through the son, but this time... It's going to be through the process of reconciliation. Verse 20. And through him. Remember the through first. The first through was through him he created. But now through him to reconcile 
to himself all things. How does this reconciliation start? Well, the first thing is that the son becomes human. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That son that is God all of a sudden puts on humanity, but he puts on humanity in a way that he does not lose any of his deity. This is so important because some people would say when he became human, he was no longer God. He was human. Then after his resurrection, he became God. Just forget that kind of thing. No. The fact that he's saying that he put, that he, all the fullness dwelt in him means that he's becoming human, but that fullness of God, did, he, nothing was lost. Amen. So he put on humanity. He became like you and I in every way, suffered the temptations. He understood, identified with all our pain and suffering. We do not have a God who we can say, but God, you don't really understand what I'm going through. Why? Because God became human just like you and I. He loves us so much that he identifies with our pain and suffering. But he did more. He didn't just identify. The next thing he did was that he made peace through the shedding of his blood on the cross. Verse 20. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What was going on? Remember I said that this thing is resolved. The noise of rebellion is resolved by judgment. The noise of rebellion is, is resolved by what? And who is appointed to be judge of the world? The Son. But on the cross, what happened? On the cross, the judge of the world was judged for the world to bring peace to the world. That is the gospel. That on the cross, what he was going to judge people for, at the end, he took that judgment on himself for those who believe in him so that this world can be brought to peace. The word peace there, in the, in, from Greek to the Hebrew, is the word shalom. Shalom is more than just the ending of um, of, um, of um, was an adversarial relationship of enmity. The word shalom is, if I say there's shalom between Toby and I, and Toby and I have been arguing, it's not just that Toby and I don't argue again. You know, do your own, I do my own, God, no go vex. Just, just stay away. When you see me cross the other side, there's peace between us. No, there's no shalom there. Shalom is such that, one, yes, we do not argue with each other again. Two, we now start to talk with each other. Three, as we talk with each other, we find that our differences do not work against each other, but they complement one another to form for a new whole. Shalom is a place of ordering, a place of harmony, a place of complementarity that gives birth to more than the sum of our parts. When Jesus says he makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. He's saying this. I'm putting the music back together. And this time it sounds even much better than what it was in the first place. Because I've remixed it. Because he not only was on the cross being judged for us. But he is the firstborn from the dead it says. Remember the old creation. The old creation was God taking a man from the dust of the earth, he put in his breath, the breath of life, he became a living being. But Jesus is saying now, the new creation, this one that comes after I have done all of this reconciliation, is going to come because someone was dead, the Spirit of God goes in him and he's brought to new life. Here's how he puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, the body that is sown is perishable, the old one, but it is raised imperishable. Perishable means that you are subject to diseases and all manner of things. And now you will no longer be subject to that. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written. The first Adam became a living being. Old creation. The second Adam, a life-giving spirit, new creation. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, imperishable and the mortal with immortality. You see, Wally, as we know him now, as he is today, is growing. If Christ doesn't return in a hundred years, Wally will die. You will die. 
But as a believer in Christ, as a believer in Christ, because, because Christ rose from the dead, he is the firstborn sequentially of the new creation. He is the first one to actually come. But also he's the guarantor of that new creation. So that when Wale rises again, Wale will be Wale. And yet Wale will be remixed. Wale will now rise up to never be sick again. Remember, remix is removing things. Sickness is removed. Sorrow is removed. Pain is removed. Yet it's the same person. Wale will have death removed. But now he will be raised up to be truly who Wale is meant to be. Not after the order of Adam who spoiled the song. But after the order of Christ who remade the song. This is what he promises us. Shalom within ourselves. Shalom with one another. And shalom with this world. But until that time, you know what he does? That same spirit that raised him from the dead and that same spirit that will raise us up as well, on, according to Romans 8, on the last day, he has given us that spirit in his church. And that's why he is the head of the body, the church, and we are its members, as he says there. He is not just the firstborn from among them, but he is the head of the body, the church. And it's in this church, not, not this church, city church, I mean the church globally, it's in the church that we learn the music to be more and more subjectively reconciled to him. He's given us a new status, but now to behave more and more like him. We come together, we fellowship one another in the spirit so that we can be his representatives in the world. So guys, as we said, it's important for our horizontal relationships to be strengthened by Christ, but they'll be strengthened only as we have a right relationship, vertical relationship with Christ. Whenever we think, who is that Christ? Let us think about this hymn. The one who created all things. The one who conquered all things, including death, so that in all things he might have supremacy. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.